Still in your hands This is my 
church. It's going completely. Uh, welcome to Eagle Ridge Bible Fellowship. My name is Heather Ashley. I'm one of the worship leaders here. Welcome on this Sunday morning service. Uh, if you're still in the foyer, please come on in and join us as we get started this morning. It is great to be here together in this warm building. We're so grateful that we have this opportunity to worship God together. Will you please stand and sing with us this morning? Oh, my darkened heart, the light of Christ has 
So quiet now. <laughs> good morning. I hope you had a good sleep last night. And for those who didn't have, I hope you have a better morning. I didn't have a good sleep. Our son is sick, and so Jessica just took her to emergency this morning. So, brief review of chapel night. There were around six churches or seven churches, and probably 70 students joined. Unfortunately, I know you're busy, so our church people, nobody was there. <laughs> so it was just me and Austin. So I hope next time you join us. And tonight there is an open gym night for the college and courier community. Join us from 6.30 to 8.30 p.m. for some fun and snacks. And next Friday, December 1st, the college and courier community will be visiting the Kukutlam Christmas night market together at 6.30 and then walking around the lights at Lafferage Lake. We hope you can join us for both of these events. For those who do not know, every Saturday from 7 to 9, college and career basically gathering together. College and careers are young adults. We just came with this name because we don't want to miss people who finished the college and now they're working and or they are single. So. We encourage you to join us from six, from 7 to 8, we eat dinner, and from 8 to 9, we have Bible study, and sometimes just we go outside and uh, just hang out with one another. So I encourage you, if you still don't have a community, uh, please join us, because <clears throat> that's my philosophy. Uh, small groups are the heart of the church. It is there that you learn uh, the gospel better. It's there that you can understand better each other, find one another. Uh, I was talking to a brother, um, and he said, inside the church, we don't have lots of opportunity to share the gospel because not a lot of people are coming. People are outside. And uh, even here, uh, we don't have opportunity a lot to get to know each other. Every Sunday, we come and go. So I really encourage you to join the small groups, not just our young adults and college and career, but other small groups. 
The buckets for relief kits are available at the welcome desk. Also, do you remember the school kits that we packed earlier this year? Uh, we received this great video of one of the students opening hers. Uh, so, we just want to watch this video. That's my favorite. Even I like it, how it is. This is for mathematics, science, English, social study. I'm going to rule for mathematics, coloring, pencil, pens. These people which are giving us this thing are winning our parents. Like getting this books, pen, pencil, even the colors to us is the best. Now we are invited many people. If they see us moving with this thing, even they will say, let me go to school. Like the mothers, our mothers, eh, get the money to bring us to school here. But the money of buying it, it will be difficult. Like getting this money is difficult. So they help us with this thing, we use them. Like if they could not be there, who could have not come to school. I put it like this. This is how I put it. So we are very happy and we are thanking for them. May God bless those people who can give us these books. Thank you to all those that have helped with the school kits, um, putting them together, donating for those school kits. It's pretty awesome. Um, yeah, this morning's call to worship is from Psalm 100. Shout for joy to the Lord, everyone on earth. Worship the Lord with gladness. Come to him with songs of joy. Know that the Lord is God. He made us and we belong to him. We are his people. We are the sheep belonging to his flock. Give thanks as you enter the gates of his temple. Give praise as you enter its courtyards. Give thanks to him and praise his name. The Lord is good. He is faithful. His faithful love continues forever. It will last for all time to come. Would you please stand? And we'll continue in worship this morning. Worthy of every breath 
our Heavenly Father, we are so grateful to be in this place together this morning. Would you open our eyes and our hearts to the word this morning? Let us be filled with your grace and give us opportunities to understand something new and bring it into our hearts today. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, this time the kids and uh, junior youth students are dismissed. Did you, did you do your homework this week? Hmm. So you're thinking, what homework? Remember I gave you some homework assignment last week? Hmm. Remember you're supposed to find someone who serves willingly and eagerly and uh, encourage them? Well, I was at two uh, memorial services yesterday. And uh, at both of them, I was so encouraged by seeing the various ways in which people serve with their gifts and abilities. You know, one of the moments uh, yesterday, we, there was a reception after David Alley's, and there was more people than we expected. And then I just, as I was going by, I saw in the kitchen suddenly a flurry of activities, more buns being cut and, uh, and being made <laughs> and things. And I thought, yes! That is, uh, it is wonderful to see the things going on behind the scenes. There were chairs, extra chairs put out and different things. And I was just uh, thinking about thanking God for the way that he invites us to be involved in what he is doing and what's done in the world. He could do it all, like he is the best at everything, right? And yet he wants us to be involved just want us to take uh, some time together to, to pray and to thank him. Oh, dear, gracious, creative, abundant God, you are the one who has, uh, Lord, we asked to have, we sang this morning that we would have your heart. And Lord, I thank you where we see signs of you putting your heart, your desires, your interests, what you want done in the world, what you do and you want us to be involved with. Lord, whether it is a, a passion for serving others, whether it is a, a desire when seeing someone who is hurting and broken just to come alongside, whether it is someone who has the words to say when, when we have no words. Lord, I thank you for the signs just that I have seen of that. And you have said that we should let our light shine before others. Not that we would get glory, but that, Lord, that we would see something of you. That others would see something of you, the great creator, the great redeemer, the great giver behind all of this. And sometimes we wonder about all of the evil in the world and how this can take place. But how often do we stop and pause to say, where did all of this goodness come from? Who is the one who gave that and inspired that? Lord, we thank you for the goodness of your word as well. And as we dive into it today, Lord, we pray that as your word says, may the unfolding of your word, the opening of it, Lord, bring light to our minds and our hearts and to our world. Amen. 
Well, today is the concluding message in our series on 1 Peter, Exiles on Mission. Uh, I was thinking back why I chose this letter. In the beginning, because I found its message to be a timely one. It tells us how to keep carrying on Jesus' mission in a culture that has become what Paul Williams describes as increasingly pagan with an anti-Christian flavor. Now, in my newsfeed this, this week, uh, I saw an example of that. wasn't looking for it, but National Post article. And uh, I think the headline said, Canada Human Rights Commission recently argued that a day off on Christmas is discriminatory. don't know if you knew that. It's a form of religious intolerance, an example, they said, of systematic faithism. I've heard of racism, but systematic faithism. This is despite the fact that polls only 6% of uh, people in Canada think religious holidays should be struck from our current official statutory holidays. I, I don't want to dwell on that, but it was just a, an example of, of that change in context. And when so many people, even within the church, are being squeezed into the world's way of thinking and behaving... It can feel like resistance is futile, you will be assimilated. One of the, uh, an author I read a little while back, Natasha Crane, she had uh, posted a, a question on her website or her account. What are some ways you're seeing Christians being influenced by the secular world around us in what we believe, how we think, or how we live out our faith? Some of the responses... Everything has become self-centered, said one. You be you instead of be who God made you to be. You got this instead of God is in control. Live your best life instead of live to give glory to God. And you're so strong instead of God is strong in our weakness. And then she had people who didn't just talk about out there, but in my own life responses which included one saying, I'm lowering my standards for what media I consume. Another said, our culture places so much emphasis on believing that the only things that are real are things you can prove scientifically that sometimes I start to doubt if God is real because I can't see and touch him. Well, these comments illustrate some of the various ways in which we tend to be influenced by the world rather than be an influence in the world. The Christians in Peter's day faced significant pressure and even open hostility for being faithfully different, socially, economically, physical persecution, which is why Peter wrote to them, as he says near the end of this letter, I have written to brief you briefly encouraging you and testifying that this is the true grace of God. Stand in it. That is, be faithfully different. Resistance is not futile. Well, let's read 1 Peter chapter 5, from verses 6 to the end of this letter. Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand, that he may lift you up in due time. Cast all your anxiety on him, because he cares for you. Be alert and of sober mind. 
Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Resist him, standing firm in the faith because you know that the family of believers throughout the world is undergoing the same kind of sufferings. And the grace of, and the God of all grace who called you to his eternal glory in Christ after you have suffered a little while will himself restore you and make you strong, firm, and steadfast. To him be the power forever and ever. Amen. With the help of Silas, whom I regard as a faithful brother, I have written to you briefly, encouraging you and testifying that this is the true grace of God. Stand fast in it. She who is in Babylon, chosen together with you, sends you her greetings, and so does my son Mark. Greet one another with a kiss of love. Peace to all of you who are in Christ. Well, he begins by, in this section, by saying, I think, resist pride. Resist pride by humbling yourselves. You might wonder, why is humility so important, and how can we humble ourselves? Well, the therefore in verse 6 points back to verse 5. And there we are told why humility is so important. Because God loves humility. God loves humility. He opposes the proud, but he shows favor or grace to the humble. God opposes those who exalt themselves, who think they are superior to others, and who use others for their own advantage. Remember when our kids were young, we would read them a book, Yertle the Turtle and Other Stories. It's a real page-turner. But it's just a, basically a story of turtles. And Yertle was a very small turtle. And Mac, well, he somehow got a way to get all of the other turtles piled up so that he could have this tremendous view out in the distance. Now, the whole thing came down. Well, I shouldn't give away. You can read the story. It's a great ending. <laughs> or you can ask somebody who knows. You know, but the humble, like little yertle in the bottom of that pile, know they need help. Not only human help, but especially divine help. And so they ask for God's help. They put their trust in him. And you know what? God loves to be trusted. You know, some of you know, I have a grandson, about two years old. Once in a while, you know, he needs to trust me. You know, whether it's to jump off something and trust that I'll catch him. It is great to be trusted. It really is. In Philippians 2, Paul reminds them that Jesus' very coming... Oh, sorry, I'm, I've skipped ahead here. Now, given the, the present tense in the, in, of the verbs in verse 5, the point is actually, it says God is ultimately, he's continuously opposing the proud. He's continually showing favor to the humble. And so it only makes practical and logical sense if we want God's ongoing favor and grace that we humble ourselves, it says, under God's mighty hand. I thought about that. If we are trying to push ourselves up, you know what God's hand is doing? It's trying to push us down, humble us. And if we are humbling ourselves, what is God's hand doing? It's pushing us up. Now, would you rather work with God or against God? Well, why do people, 
What do humble people themselves do? What do they do? And one thing noted in verse 5 is they submit to and support those in authority rather than resist and rebel against them. And uh, in Philippians 2, Paul reminds them that Jesus' very coming itself was an ultimate example of humility. He who did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage, but he humbled himself and became a servant, even to the point of death. Jesus' very coming was, an ex- was the ultimate example. And then he, Paul encourages us to have the same mindset as him, which practically speaking means not looking out to your own interests all the time, but looking to the interests of others. I remember having uh, a meal with some people who had lived and worked in Uzbekistan for quite a while. What was interesting, first, we all sat on the floor for the meal. But the one thing that they taught us as well is they said, so if you have run out of something on your plate or your glass is empty... You know, in our culture here in Canada, we say, could you please pass, you know, the vegetables or the steak or, you know, or the water. And they said, you always, instead, first, you look around and you see who else is needing something first. And then you say, oh, could I serve you, you know, another, could I fill your glass? Can I pass you the plate? And I remember thinking, wow, this is an experience Every meal, sitting down, that mindset, when I have a need, looking around to the interests of others. So, uh, here Peter also says, not only resist pride, but resist anxiety by casting it on him, that is, on God. We live in a, a culture of increasingly anxious people, don't we? Statistics Canada, info shows that the prevalence of general, generalized anxiety disorder doubled since 2012. Think you got that? Oh, if you can show the slide, please. It's up from 2.6% to 5.2. And similar increases were seen for the, 12, for the prevalence of major depressive disorders and bipolar disorders. The largest 10-year increases were seen among young people, and particularly young women aged 15 to 24. Well, the Christians in Peter's day, this is shortly before Emperor Nero will unleash a great persecution against them. They had a lot to be anxious about, as did the poor people that Jesus addressed in the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus and Peter's counsel, and Paul's also in Philippians, are all very similar They know that the cares and worries of life come to all of us in some degree. Concern, that's natural and healthy. Paul, in uh, in 2 Corinthians, will talk about his concern for all of his churches. But anxiety, that is not healthy. It can debilitate us, which is why we need to learn to do what Peter says, cast our care, our anxiety upon the Lord. And how do we do that? You should have been in our small group this week on Thursday evening. We had a great discussion about how, you know, what in your experience have we found? How do we cast our cares, our anxiety upon the Lord? And I'll give you just a little window. Four things that came up. One was prayer. 
And Peter actually talks about this earlier. Prayers. And within the Bible, we have a whole book of prayers that God wrote for us. The Psalms. Which help us to process our distress, our anger, our disappointments, our anxiety. With God. Second thing we talked about was meditation. One person described it as brooding over. Or... Another way of, uh, it's also of gnawing, chewing. It's like a, a dog with a bone, you know, and they're just savoring it. That kind of idea. Savoring God's word. Instead of, what do we usually chew on? Our worries. Right? And we brood on those. So it's a shift in focus. Uh, third thing, worship. Worship in song. Worship I always remember what uh, the great reformer Martin Luther said. He said, the person who sings prays twice. And I think he said that because, you know, we slow down, we savor, and we carry those words with us. And as we're worshiping God, somehow our burdens are lightened. We see God and our eyes shift from the brooding on our problems to the one who is able to help us. And a fourth thing we talked about was fellowship. Uh, Elsewhere in the Bible, it says, bear one another's burdens and in this way fulfill the law of Christ. And we were doing that in our group this week. Well, notice in this passage that Peter also roots our response in the rich, rich soil of God's loving care and protection. Cast your anxiety on the Lord because he cares for you. Jesus, he rooted our, when he was talking about do not worry, he also rooted it. Why don't you need to worry? Because we have a loving Heavenly Father who cares deeply for us. By turning our worries and fears over to God, we demonstrate how humility and confidence in God's character and ability to make things right, then we can trust in due time that God will do that. Now, while the Greek word behind in due time may be general, that is, you know, in God's time, it's often used in 1 Peter as a way of referring to the final day of salvation, of vindication. So when we are misrepresented, mistreated, or even abused, we deeply long to be vindicated rather quickly by God, don't we? Like, God, do it now! But when we trust in him, when we trust in the character of God, then we are able to wait on him. There's a story in the Old Testament book of Ruth. And in that, in that, uh, in that story, uh, Ruth and her mother-in-law, Naomi, they are in quite desperate straits. They need the help of others. And they are at a point in which, you know, they could try to do thing, make things happen. Well, they, you know, you'd like to make things happen themselves. But uh, Naomi says to her daughter-in-law, Ruth, wait, my daughter, for the man, that is Boaz in the story, who has already been uh, you know, a godly man and who has reached out to them. She says, that man will not rest until the matter is settled today. We kn- we've been learning his character. We can trust him. We just need to wait till he takes care of it. And I thought about how much more, when we know the character of God, if we think about that, if we meditate on that, will God not do what is right? You know, that's where we can find hope and, uh, and help. Well, a third thing that Peter says we should resist, and he says, resist the enemy. Resist the enemy by standing firm in your faith. 
And he begins this section with a call to be alert and of sober mind. Because the reality is that we have an enemy who is on the prowl. Peter describes him. He's like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. That's a pretty anxiety-inducing image, isn't it? I had an anxiety-inducing experience this week. Uh, someone else from the office, we were having a, a, a meeting in my office, just, uh, you know, talking about some things, and all of a sudden, this person started screaming, and, uh, you know, it wasn't a lion, it was a small mouse, though, that went running by, and I was amazed how anxiety-inducing that could be for some people. <laughs> now, rest assured, Peter is giving one you know, our enemy is like something that is anxiety-inducing for all of us, okay? Far more powerful, and that we need to be spiritually alert, clear thinking. Don't be spiritually oblivious like unbelievers. We say, uh, yeah, that guy in the red suit with the little horns, you know, it's a cartoon figure. The devil is a very real spiritual being who is hell-bent, hell-bent in active rebellion against God and has authority over many demons like himself. I'll never forget years ago reading the book by uh, Canadian General Romeo Dallaire who lived and worked in Rwanda. And the name of his book was Shake Hands with the Devil. He's like, nobody has to convince me that the devil is real. Peter he had experienced firsthand how deceptive and opportunistic the devil could be. He had seen Satan, you know, the language used is devour Judas so that Judas could betray the only innocent one. He had seen the devil turn the crowd, the celebrating, cheering crowd for Jesus, against Jesus, and use the religious and political leaders to misuse and abuse their power so that they could put Jesus to death. Peter had no doubt that the devil existed or how deadly he could be. But he had seen Jesus defeat him. Peter did not believe the devil's lie that resistance was futile. So he tells his fellow believers, resist him by standing firm in the faith. And Peter, Peter probably has all of the positive resources of the Christian life in mind, like the ones that the Apostle Paul spells out more fully in, in Ephesians chapter 6, near the end of that chapter. And these include prayer, the Word of God, which Peter actually, in his letter, he uses a lot. Direct quotations, but also allusions a lot. Praise and thanksgiving, the help of fellow believers, solidarity with fellow believers is one that he will highlight in, in verse 9. You are not alone, he is saying. You are in this together. And earlier, Peter also mentioned the importance of abstaining from sinful desires. Don't let the devil get his hook in you. And his counsel resonates with that given by, you know, James when in James 4, verse 17, he says, basically, submit yourselves to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. He will see that mighty hand of God working for you, not against you. Well, fourthly, he says, resistance will lead to restoration. 
In verse 10, Peter reminds them that ultimately their resistance will lead to God's great restoration. He has said earlier that God shows favor. He gives grace to the humble and oppressed. But ultimately, the God of all grace, he says, who called you to his eternal glory, contrast eternal glory, after you have suffered a little while, little stands in sharp contrast, he will himself, it's actually emphatic, restore you and make you strong, firm, and steadfast. I agree with commentator J. Uh, Ramsey Michaels, when he says, the victory described is future, yet the process by which it comes to realization is already underway in the ministries of believers to each other within and among their scattered congregations. The victory is already at work. And the four parallel verbs, restore, make strong, firm, and steadfast, they unfold how the call of God to his eternal glory, how this comes into full realization. He, it's emphatic, God himself with his mighty hand, Peter is saying, he's the energy behind this. He will do this. His grace will restore you. It will make you strong so your resistance will be effective. It will make you firm in the faith so you can stand your ground with steadfastness in the face of human and demonic opposition. The God who is able to pull this off is powerful and mighty indeed and worthy of our trust and worship. In his final greetings, Peter summarizes the reason why he, with the help of Silas, wrote this letter. Now, since Silas is not mentioned in the opening greeting, the beginning of the letter, only Peter is, Silas probably helped, you know, as uh, Peter's scribe, and probably also the one who will deliver this letter in person to the churches to whom Peter is writing. So this closing note, it would have authenticated him as one esteemed by Peter, he says, as a, this is a faithful brother. Basically, trust this guy. I do. And this letter, as we talked about earlier, has a dual purpose. It's to encourage them in the face of opposition they are, are experiencing. And it's also to testify this is the true grace of God. Stand fast in it. But what exactly is he referring to when he says the true grace of God? Is he referring to the gracious work of Christ, his present and future salvation? Is it God's gracious help in their suffering? Like, stand firm that God's in this. Or is it the whole content of this letter on the Christian life as a whole? That is, the new birth into a living hope. The new spirit-empowered life and lifestyle. The new mission is God's royal priesthood. New purpose and suffering. New power to resist and overcome sin and Satan. I, I think all of these probably... His whole letter on the whole of the Christian life is in mind, I think, as he says, this, this is the true grace of God. Stand fast in it. Now he ends with a, a greeting from she who is in Babylon, sends you her greetings along with my son, Mark. First of all, Mark is John Mark, who according to early Christian tradition, wrote the gospel of Mark that we have. And a good person to do it because in Acts 12, verse 12, it tells us that the early church often, with the apostles, often met in his home, the home of his mother. So he had access to lots of eyewitness accounts about Jesus' life and ministry. 
about Babylon? There were a couple of literal Babylons in the ancient world. There was the city in Mesopotamia. There was a military outpost in Egypt. Neither of these is likely. What is likely is that Babylon is either, A, a secret reference to Rome, where Peter is writing from, because in the Bible, Babylon often represents an empire that is a corrupt and corrupting influence in the world. Or it may be Peter's way of saying the church, that is she, who is in exile, wherever she may be, sends her greetings to her fellow exiles. We are living as exiles, and we are greetings to you fellow exiles. And though they are all exiles and strangers in the world in Christ, they are those, he says, upon whom God's peace, his shalom, rests. Resistance is not futile. It is essential for ourselves and others. This is the way. You who are Mandalorian fans like myself, and some of you don't know, have a clue who the Mandalorian is, you know. You, uh, but in, in the long, along these episodes along the way, at really challenging moments, sometimes calling to great sacrifice, there will be a brief, you know, there's a way out here, and it will be like, no, this is the way. This is the creed. This is the commitment we have made. Now we are living it. This is the way. And uh, I'm going to get you to, to repeat. This is how we're going to close the message in this series. I was reading through 1 Peter, and I thought, this is a good assignment for the week. Read through 1 Peter, and when you come across a saying or something that, you know, it's like, this is the way. This is the way. And so I'm going to give you a brief example. For example, Peter begins, he says, facing the trials that test and refine our faith, this is the way. Okay? So I'm going to read kind of a, a phrase that I've kind of gleaned from that, and you're going to say? That sounds really... I'll give you one more, one more practice here. And you're going to say? This is the way. Yes, okay. So, resisting the evil desires we used to follow? Declaring the praises of the one who called us out of darkness into his wonderful light. Suffering for doing good and enduring it. Valuing inner beauty above outward adornment. Repaying evil and insults with blessings. Being ready to share the reason for the hope we have with anyone who asks. Offering hospitality without grumbling. This is, this is the way. Being willing and eager to serve God in ministry with the ways that he has gifted us. This is, this is the way. Resisting pride, anxiety, and the devil. This, this is, is the way. And finally, standing fast and firm in the faith. This is the way. I invite the worship team to come up as we pray this truth in to our lives. Let's pray. Oh, Lord Jesus, 
I am sure that the churches to whom Peter wrote wondered at times why they were facing such great adversity and opposition and hostility to their faith, representing one who came to give his life for the world. And yet, Lord Jesus, we are the beneficiaries of the encouragement that he wrote, the reminder to believers that the way of Jesus, this is the way. Lord, I pray that you would just bring these truths home anew to us, whether, Lord, for the first time, and we say, the way of the world that I was following, that is a dead end. This is the way I need to follow. Or, Lord, in those moments in the midst of our week, when the opposition or the way of living your way is sacrificial and it is difficult, Lord, remind us, that you walked this way and you called us and invited us to follow this way because this is the way that leads to life. And we thank you for that. Amen.